Leads, leads, leads. What is happening? Welcome to Working Hours, a show about a place called Leeds, a time called now, and an activity called work. Working Hours wants to record 1,000 lawyers over the course of this, the most important decade in the history of the human species, and ask them about what they do all day and hear how they feel about it. My mission is to try to map out what my city, Leeds, a city that has declared a climate emergency, is doing during humanity's biggest emergency. On working hours, we hear how loiners have, are and will be coping with our multiple crises. The global pandemic, Brexit and of course the ongoing and accelerating collapsing of capitalism, the state and the climate through this decade. To do this I need people, people like you dear listener. Most of all I need people who are in Leeds or who are from Leeds to come on this show and be my guests. So please join me and help me with this mission whenever and however you can. Critically I will need people like you dear listener as financial backers. Please consider supporting or donating to this project. You can do so with a £1 monthly donation via either Patreon or Ko-fi, or you could donate any one-off amount to Working Hours via either Ko-fi or through the LibrePay button on the About page of Western Studios' website. Thank you. My name is Simon, and this is all my fault. What did you want to be when you grew up? I find it really hard to remember exactly what I wanted to be when I grew up, I used to play. I used to love playing soldiers and war. That's mm. what our play seemed to, my play anyway, seemed to revolve around. Mm. Um, and uh, But having said that, I did an extraordinary amount of digging as part of that play. <laughs> we used to We used to build, dig trenches in woods. Mm. And that, playing at that, it was just an interesting way of revealing what you were actually doing. You know, we weren't really playing war. We were organising some really down-in-the-woods <laughs> activity, you know. It's like earth-moving. Yeah, yeah, earth-moving, yeah, right. But also hanging out in the woods. Um, and the, the, the other thing, I grew up in the countryside in the Midlands, and there was a river about a mile and a half away from where I was living mm. and discovering that you could walk to the river and that um, the farm land sort of fell away on the riverbanks. Mm -hmm. There was a certain commonality to it. Mm. Uh, so we used to go down there and just hang out. There was a little island that mm. we used to... We'd found out a way of getting across, wading across to the island. And so there was that as well, which the sense of kind of untouchability, being able to get away and be on this little space. Mm. Which is, I'm not really answering your question very well, but then I don't really think I had a sense of wanting to be anything when I grew up. In the end, I got into acting through discovering something I felt good at mm. when I was at school. Mm. And I got... I you know, in the absence of any better idea, I think, mm -hmm. I got a training at drama college. Okay. Um, and worked as an actor. I put in about 20 years wow. in theatre. Yeah. 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 Um, so I guess I wanted to be that when I grew up, you know, 
but I just sort of didn't seem to grow up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a similarity there with the you know playing playing army to playing anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it yeah, sounds very yeah. idyllic as well. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I, totally, it was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, uh, I, d- I didn't appreciate it at the time, especially when I was a teenager. Mm. I found it. Boring. Boring, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really stultifying. And I wanted to to get to the city as mm. soon as I could, which I did as soon as they, you know, left the back door open, basically. I was mm. I left at age 16. So did you go to London for the acting then? Is that how you managed to First, get away? First, I moved to Cardiff, yeah. where I ended up um, going to college as well. Mm. But shortly after I finished college, I went to London and mm. stayed there for, yeah, 20 years. You're listening to Series 3, Episode 43, and to my guest, Joe James. This is another in-person interview, recorded on the 25th of November 2022, at Mill Hill Chapel in Leeds City Square. Hello, loves. Joe James is Minister to the Congregation of Mill Hill Chapel on City Square in the centre of Leeds. Mill Hill is a Unitarian chapel, with a congregation that was first formed in 1672. There have been 350 years continuity of rational dissent in worship in Mill Hill. Joe is interested in what happens next when, as a culture, we acknowledge that although we've abandoned God, we haven't found peace or freedom or anything really worthwhile to take that space. Joe thinks industrial culture is mechanistic and domineering, and as a result, it is in very serious trouble, but senses reality isn't like that. Reality flows and is endlessly creative, endlessly loving. Joe previously worked in the theatre and learned a lot from the creative strategies of artists at the edge of their industry. He was an atheist before discovering Unitarianism, then started learning about the liberal Christianity of his grandparents' generation, and is learning to recover some of the living links with the resources that have sustained folks for many, many generations. Joe helps to create community groups and works alongside all sorts of people, putting on bands, growing food and encouraging new things to happen. Unitarianism is a wisdom tradition which seeks to approach the sacred in participation and worship. Unitarians recognise that the spiritual life cannot be precisely defined but should aim to be inclusive and compassionate. Nourished by the deep springs of Abrahamic tradition, they value other religious and spiritual traditions as well as scientific and secular sources. Unitarianism acknowledges the role of reason and the scientific method in developing a greater understanding of the real world and also recognises that materialistic rationalism cannot hold all the answers to the great questions of life. Unitarians cherish the spiritual resources of our religious inheritance, the inspired contribution of the arts, and human ways of being that are compassionate, generous, considerate, and gracious, seeing in them evidence of the divine spark which exists in all life. We recorded this in the vestry and it's quite noisy, which I think adds texture to this chat. I have left a couple of real-time gaps in this interview. I don't normally do that, but again, I think it adds to this discussion. Plus, it also gives you a sense of how much time people can actually take to respond to these questions. When the pauses come, don't panic, stay in them. If you would like to know more about the chapel, go to millhill.org. I would love to have more faith workers on the show from any and all faiths. I really enjoyed recording at Mill Hill and I would love to record in other spiritual locations where that is appropriate. I'm not here to boost any particular faith, but I am interested in its role in work and the role of work in faith. 
Anyway, let's crack on with this episode of Working Hours with Joe James. So what is it that you do now then? I'm the minister of Mill Hill Chapel in the city centre here. And I've been here since 2014. Mm. So I've just clocked up the eighth year in post. Mm. That was this November. So yeah, that's what I do. That's what I am. Mm. It's another strangeness, actually, Mm. going from working in the theatre where your job is also your identity. Mm. You know, as an actor, Mm. you're you're this kind of thing in Mm. in people's minds and maybe also in your own to some extent. And here I am again as a minister. That's also one of those roles that people... It's a whole shape in people's minds Mm. that you fulfill badly or well depending Mm -hmm. on their perspective but um yeah it's another all-encompassing identity as well as job Mm. as well as a profession and you kind of are on a stage with a spotlight and yeah give performances to a degree there's a there's a massive overlap and i've often wondered how much work there has really been done to look at the connection between church and theatre mm. um, theatre came out of the churches mm. in an absolutely literal way mm. the mystery plays here in Yorkshire and mm. um, elsewhere um, so there's definitely woven into liturgy there is theatre mm-hmm. and ritual and there is that of performance mm-hmm. within the work of the church and reenactment as well like oh, recreation yeah. reenactment yeah, like absolutely. doing the same thing yeah. making it again mm-hmm. yeah, yeah 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 remembering uh literally to, to put together the body which is what ritually is done in communion mm. remember it's a a, a a feast of remembrance mm-hmm. in some theologies mm. um and people can get a little bit anxious about that analogy. Mm. Um, the Passover is the act of remembering the exodus and the flight from Egypt mm-hmm. and the fact that they had to rush and couldn't wait for their bread to be risen. And so then mm. remember that by mm. taking this unleavened bread. And there is something that the act of remembering Mm. does to refresh, to bring back to reality Mm. uh, something which is of real consequence to your identity. Mm. Um, Yeah. Mm. Okay, well, we'll, I'm sure we'll go further into all of these things as we go. Um, So I'll go on to the next question, which is how did you get into it? So what was your journey then from the stage to... The chapel. While I was working in London, um, I would take a uh, commute to work. I was living in Brixton mm-hmm. and working on the South Bank. Uh, so my route to work would take me past a little Unitarian chapel mm-hmm. set back off the road, on Ephra Road. Um, and I knew a little bit about Unitarianism mm-hmm. because... My family are Welsh, mm. um, from West Wales, where there was a little enclave of Unitarian churches, mm. which really helped to keep the Welsh language alive. Mm. It's a little-known fact, but it's um, the Unitarian tradition 
being a radical tradition, mm. speaking Welsh enabled that community to retain mm. both its sense of otherness and, and separateness, but mm. also its its own tradition, its own stand. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I knew about Indodiaith um, in way in Wales and wondered what that really meant. Mm. What is Unitarian? How does it play out in the, in the modern day, not in Wales? You know. Mm. So I found myself going in one Sunday to find out. Um, and bear in mind that was me as an atheist. Mm. Uh, I would have self-professed to be um, a humanist. I might have said, or an agnostic. I might have said to my religious friends. Mm -hmm. You know. Mm -hmm. But uh, I went in and sat at the back and listened to it and found it strangely compelling mm. and started going more frequently. Mm. And I have to admit, I don't think I understood at that time what was being said. I felt, you know, there's that image of uh, St. Francis preaching to the birds, isn't mm. there? I don't know if you can picture it, the, the image of him and there's a there's a tree branch with five little birds listening to him preach. Mm. I felt like one of those birds, you know, mm. for all it meant to me, I might as well have been a bird because it, it <laughs> was... But nevertheless, it was somehow compelling and different and, mm. and in a way strange. And I realised straight away that it was actually countercultural. Mm. My culture and all of my generation, all the people around me were mm. busily ignoring... Christianity in particular, but religion generally, mm -hmm. as hard as they could. Mm. And I thought there was something really interesting about that. Mm. And I started to kind of burrow in a little bit. Mm -hmm. And the minister there was a lovely guy called Julian Smith. One day, not part of his preaching, but just in conversation really with the congregation, he, he made a point which really struck home to me. He said... Liberal religion is dying on the vine. There are other forms of religion that are growing. You know, religious fanaticism is on the rise. Mm. Religious conservatism, fundamentalism mm. is on the rise. But liberal religion, this kind of religious approach that mm. takes people's own understanding seriously mm. and allows people responsibility to develop their own spiritual life in the direction that really suits their heart, mm -hmm. that's dying out. Mm. We're amongst the last of the proponents of this kind of religious life. Mm. And I thought at the time, you know, if I heard about any other cause, lost cause, mm. I'd be right up for it. Mm -hmm. I'd be in defence, you know. Mm -hmm. So, like, when for a while it was fashionable to mock... Uh, Morris dancing mm. and I never did I always thought no hang on that's great it, mm. it's brilliant it looks marvellous when mm. would you get these you know middle aged men <laughs> clacking sticks together and shaking hankies well, that's fine it's mm. great it's it's energetic and it's dynamic and it looks lovely and it's traditional and, mm. and now there are like 10,000 fully signed up Morris dancers in Britain and I think that's brilliant mm. You know, the um, campaign for real ale is another one that was mm. in the 70s. <laughs> Nobody would heard about it. But as soon as people realised this is in danger, mm. well, I would support that. Why don't I support this? 
Mm. Why am I so shy of actually acknowledging, yeah, I'm, I'm into this. It's something I can support. Mm. So I began to, and in the theatre, it was particularly unnatural. People would sometimes, you know, you'd go into work on a Monday and people would say, what did you do at the weekend? Mm. And if I'd say, oh, I went to chapel in, in the morning, mm. people would literally laugh as mm. if it was an obvious joke. Mm. It couldn't possibly be that I actually really did go to chapel. Mm. It was so alien to people, it was so alien to the culture. I don't think they would do that with another faith, though, no. if it wasn't Christianity. Yeah, totally right. Yeah. Because you would kind of, yeah. Yeah. you know, you, you, you show respect kind of thing. Totally right, yeah. Um, but I think maybe the flip side is perhaps... There's this preemptive, like, oh, they're going to talk to me about God. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's right. There is a, a, a understandable concern that you might be on the receiving end of mm. conversion. Mm. But it's definitely true that people do treat Christianity in a different way. Mm. And if I'd have said, well, I'm going to a dojo or a sangha, mm. Uh, it would have been greeted with a sort of, oh, interest. You know, mm. people would have slapped me on the back and said, great, how's, how's that going? Mm. You can admit to meditating, mm. but you can't admit to prayer. Mm. Huh. Mm. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. I, I trained with uh, a group of people, and one of them was a, a American gay guy um, who said he found it easier to come out as gay than mm. he did to come out as a professional religious person. You know, <laughs> he found that his social circle found it much more difficult to deal with. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think that's just really interesting. So how did you go from congregation to coming into the, into the church itself then? It's a really interesting way. Um, the Unitarian tradition has made it part of its life to bring up voices from the congregation, mm -hmm. to invite people in the congregation to read and indeed to lead services, mm -hmm. um, which reflects the very democratic nature of the denomination. It's based on the idea of networks mm -hmm. and relationship rather than on hierarchies. Am I right in yeah. thinking that it's... So you aren't you looking at the commonalities between faiths is that is that right or you or is it within christianity and you're looking at the commonalities across yeah it, christendom it, it is uh, both <laughs> that because its root was to look very carefully at scripture and mm -hmm. understand the church as a tradition mm-hmm it led to an ability to look outside the church mm. and begin to see that other faiths also have a right to their truth claims mm. and a right for those truth claims to be taken seriously. Mm. Um, th so those those two things are connected and related, mm. yes, very mm. much. Yeah. So did you need to go to like a seminary or did you have to go yeah. through like a theology course? Yes, or? Yeah. yeah, both. So I began once I'd taken into my head the notion that I wanted to take this more seriously which came about through the congregation in Brixton um, I began to lead services as a help me mm. for the minister there on one occasion he said 
if you don't, if you can't leave the service on Sunday, we'll have to sh- close our doors for the first time in 150 years. Mm. So that's on you. You know, and that, <laughs> it, it was his very uh, kind but unsubtle way of forcing me into it. Yeah, and I said, uh, you know, Julian, I'm a, an atheist. What mm. am I going to preach about? And he's he he was very wise, really. He sort of said, yeah, you'll that'll come to you, mm. and it does. And mm. you realise that you're being trusted in a way that's very overwhelming. Mm. It's an overwhelming privilege to mm. be treated with such confidence by people. Mm. And I began to realise that then it behoves you to repay that mm. trust and take seriously the trust that's been offered to you. Mm. Um I began to work within the Church of England. The Anglican Church in Southwark offered places for what's called lay reader training. So Mm -hmm. it was, for me, a way of understanding the Bible Mm -hmm. because I'd never had any access to genuine religious education in my background. My parents were atheists. Mm -hmm. Although I was at Church of England schools, it's sort of the the water you swim in Mm -hmm. rather than anything you really understand. Mm -hmm. I knew some stories from the Bible, but I didn't know the Bible well. Mm. So going through that process was fascinating, looking at it as a work of literature and asking myself the question, why haven't you read this? Why haven't you taken this seriously? Is Mm. there any other um, resource of literature that is this influential Mm. that you've simply not looked at? Mm. you can read Shakespeare um, and it's absolutely full of references to and thoughts about the Bible. Mm. But for 20 years, I didn't really think it was necessary to look at the Bible itself, mm. which is fascinating, you know. Mm. Where else would that be true? Mm. And I found it throughout the theatre. There were really big... Um, important directors Mm. working in Shakespeare Mm. who clearly had no understanding of theology or the Bible, Mm. which is extraordinary when you come to think of it. Mm. I'm talking about household name style um, theatre directors, Mm. but no clue about what any of these characters are really talking about. Mm. (laughs) That's just fascinating. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I I did a, tra- a reader training. I then was offered a chance within the denomination, mm. the Unitarians, to go into ministry training. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Unitarian denomination has a, a training college called Manchester College in Oxford, which is part of, as now part of Oxford University. So I had the great privilege of working there mm-hmm. um, over two years. I did a um, theology qualification with the Faculty of um, Theology and then a further uh, qualification with Cambridge University Mm. in the study of religion. Mm. And that brought me out. uh, I did two placements Mm -hmm. over the course of that two-year period. And at the end of what in total was a three-year period mm. I began work here. Mm. I'm trying to think of 
sort of challenges going in, but I, yeah. So from what you've said so far, the way I'm imagining it is that it's was very easy to take it as it came because you were kind of you, you know yeah. you, you sort of got deeper in as you went through the yeah. journey. Yeah, so it was, nothing right. was overwhelming. Yeah, apart from that very first experience of looking out at people who went into prayer mode mm. and realizing this is on me to provide this opportunity. Mm -hmm. You're right, apart from that was overwhelming, but mm. apart from that, my experience was one of finding a, a path of, of no resistance. Mm. Doors opened as I moved towards them, mm. and I was allowed to sort of tumble through them. Mm. And although when I was studying at Oxford, I had the most tremendous uh, imposter syndrome mm. going on because I you know had very recently really just been a an atheist sitting in a, a pew only a few years before mm. and suddenly finding yourself you know walking around these beautiful libraries with mm. you know these huge works um, yeah studying a book that you think is really important that people have studied their entire right. lives all around you yeah, and you're exactly. kind of like yeah, how yeah, can yeah. i ever get that much knowledge <laughs> yeah. to compete yeah 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 and they talk about um theology as being like a a conversation that's already going on when you come into it mm. you have to have this humility mm. that you don't burst in and start a new conversation you've all got it wrong this right. is how to do yeah, it yeah <laughs> quite you've got to like listen for a bit mm. and, and tune in mm. and that's that's a great way to approach it I think mm. or approach the foothills of it which is all I've done in, yeah. in all the time I've been working you realise the territory is vast yeah and you've got to be humble about your own position yeah yeah yeah, yeah. also with the position as well it's a position of authority but with humility you know you're supposed it's it's yeah. it's like how some people like to describe leadership now is that leadership right. is a matter of getting out of the way and letting other people Great. you know like getting people to do it themselves rather than telling people um, what to do great. giving them the inspiration yeah. for it yeah yeah i mean the, that's great that people are talking in those terms within this denomination this family of churches it has been very much the way the tradition to um take leadership very lightly mm -hmm. but consequentially um we've attempted to create structures that are without hierarchies mm -hmm. and the minister is granted authority and that authority that i do have is really um placed with me um rather than being assumed yeah or adopted yeah and i ver take very seriously the idea that i may be able to facilitate people's own spiritual journey mm -hmm. people's own encounter with the sacred or the divine mm. and I really try my hardest never to impose my own sense such as it is mm. um, except in so far as perhaps to be saying it's a mystery mm. and isn't that fascinating mm. let's explore it together 
And isn't that an essential part of life? You know, the fact that you can't huh. understand anything, even yeah. like in a perceptual yeah. level, yeah. you're taking, yeah. we're taking everything in this room yeah. in, yeah. but we, our brains narrow it yeah. down into something we can understand. Right. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's that yeah. kind of, yeah. here's where the focus is. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So on a day to day sort of yeah. basis, yeah. what are you doing? Are you, you're not just sitting around waiting for, you know, the, the faithful to kind of turn up and be told what to do and sending them on their way. So what, what are you doing? It's like what we were talking about <coughs> with play, you know, mm-hmm. and what you wanted to do when you grew up. When we were playing, ostensibly we were playing war, but what we were actually doing was digging around in the woods. Mm. And it's, it's there's a similarity, I think, because what you're actually doing as an actor, say, mm. a lot of the time is washing dishes in a restaurant. Mm. A lot of the time, what you're actually doing, the day-to-day mm. chores and admin and the business of being an actor mm. is very different from what people think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just grew on me, it dawned on me at some point, this isn't really adding up to a life that's fulfilling. Mm-hmm. And in the church similarly or at least in ministry Mm -hmm. in this neck of the woods the day-to-day work that I'm doing is variously fulfilling or drudge Mm. right Mm. (laughs) you know that's the truth of it Mm. there are I feel like I have about four jobs Mm. and one of those is you could think of it as ceremonial ministry, the work that I do of marrying people, mm. funerals, mm. Uh, conducting services mm. here. There's also, you could think of it as pastoral ministry, mm. which is talking to people about what they're going through and mm. you know, sharing that burden as much as you can, mm. a kind of counselling role. Mm. And then there's events management mm. and, um, you know, doing the work of the church in the public sphere. Mm. And then there's the management of a large, very old space mm. and a congregation. The, the, the actual management that's required to do that is another job. Mm. So there's those, all of those different things that, that occupy variously bits of my time. Mm. And the thing that I want to hold at the centre of it all is the offering to mm. people to facilitate their journey and to facilitate an exploration of this extraordinary mystery. Mm. But I find that it keeps on getting edged out by the other things that I mm. have to be doing. You know. Yeah. That's very job-like though, isn't yeah. it? It's like, oh, I'm here supposed to be doing yeah. this thing, yeah. but I, I yeah. keep getting distracted yeah. from the thing of by all these it. other of things. Of course it is. And I'd love to be in the luxury position <laughs> of just saying, well, I'm going to sit in this lovely vestry and read theology <laughs> and create my service for the week to come or whatever. But I never get the chance. And I usually am writing services on the hoof at the end of the week, you know, mm. on Sunday morning sometimes. Because mm. that's the way the cookie crumbles. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's not going to be easy. I would imagine there's a few thousand, hundred words there that you need to write. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Sure, <laughs> those those deadlines and and all, ah, yeah, exactly. All of it is some of it is is uh, as well as being profoundly moving is emotionally laborious. Yeah, mm. yeah. 
There's two things I want to look at here. So I think it it very much sounds from what you've said that it, you know, you would describe this as a vocation. It is a vocational role. And, you know, it sounds like literally God spoke to you and you were drawn in. Like, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, was, were you looking for a vocation or did you know you were looking for a vocation? I didn't know I was looking for a vocation. I thought I had one. Yeah. You know, honestly, I thought I I was right in the middle of my vocation. I was just extremely fr- frustrated that that vocation mm. wasn't so accessible to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt like I was in a, a vocation until it emerged and dawned on me gradually over a period of time that I was much, much more interested in this mystery, in mm. this sense of something other something greater something more than mm. that we weren't seemingly interested to tap into mm. in our culture and I, mm. it baffled me you know if you've got an inkling just an inkling that mm. there's something other something greater mm. wouldn't you be fascinated to find out what and how and try and try and get to it in some way mm. and help others to get to it in some way and doesn't it seem immediately obvious as well that, you know, yeah. rather than being the end all and be all, you yeah. are part of something, yeah. you know, like there yeah. are generations that came before you, yes. you're so part right. of that yes. ongoing. Yes, kind so of, right. yeah. yeah, yeah. And just as I've mentioned that um, spiritual awakening moment in seeing people being receptive to prayer, mm. whether that was putting their hands together or putting their heads down or... Mm or just waiting, um, that, sorry, that, that um, voice is just distracting me, I'm <laughs> going to have to take a minute while I regather that thing, <laughs> let me drink some water as well. Yeah, profoundly realising that there is this work that can establish some foothold for people, mm. some capacity for people to manage this, mm otherwise unmanageable world that we've created i suppose in some ways as well so this is i was listening to a podcast before i came in here and they were talking about you know various disasters in life and sort of yeah if if you fall on hard times it's like the floor being pulled from under you kind of thing i suppose you're there to a degree to provide a floor it's like oh everything else has gone wrong but this is still here we've still got you kind of thing is that do you think that's fair yeah Yes, I think so in, in lots of ways. And I think there's also another element of it, which is recognising that the floor might have been an illusion. Mm. And actually, how are we going to feel about, can we be okay with having no floor? Mm. Can we mm. live through it? Mm. Can we experience this and be with it? Mm. You may find another foothold sometime, mm. but right now, how is it? Are you floating? Are you flying? Are you falling? Mm. How does it feel? And what is it? What happens if you stay with it? Mm. Maybe you are in flight. Maybe you are in free fall. Mm. What happens if you stay with it? Mm. That's a really good question. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, it's like we're almost trained to mm. m- move on totally. to the next thing. Totally. It's like, totally. well, no, stay in this moment. What mm-hmm. What's it telling you? Yeah. And there's also something about this work which is 
I'm feel called to look at as intently as I can mm. the truth. Mm. I heard a beautiful expression recently, and I'm sorry I can't remember the name of the person who was speaking. It was at a um, Q and A at a festival, mm. and she said, "Spirituality is the removing." of everything that isn't true. Spirituality must be burning away everything that isn't true mm. so that you what you are left with is what's true. Mm. And if it's true that the ground disappears, if that's right, that we're really living in a kind of illusion and we construct very artfully a, an illusory context mm. and it all strips away, as happened to us, a, couple of years ago mm. suddenly everybody felt whoa wait a minute mm. or what mm. what is money what's the economy mm. what is this structure in mm. which we have chosen where does to... toilet paper come right. from yeah yeah <laughs> absolutely first time we'd experienced empty shelves and yeah. suddenly go oh right hang on the food producing network mm. that's a thing and how does it mm. work mm. and it does it work mm. What what is this? Mm. What are the things that break it, and yeah. and how how quickly yeah. and easily can it be broken? And, and what does that truth? mean for me? Yeah. What's underlying it? Mm. What's real? Mm. Mm. And that, that to me is a profoundly spiritual question, and I think that there's been a bounce in church attendance. Really, it may not be long lived, but whether it's in actual attendance mm. more people thinking about spirituality and religious mm. approaches to life mm. that question what does this mean has really motivated people mm. it's really changed a lot of people's thinking mm. i've noticed a lot of people like you i listen to podcasts mm. um a lot of people turning a lot of those kind of public um intellectuals mm. turning to Christianity actually mm. and having that realisation we were talking about earlier that we've kind of thrown away the baby with the bathwater. Mm. for sure the church was um, had subjected people to a lot of very painful and wrong influences mm. but within that structure is something which is really important for us mm. Mm. as a species yeah yeah. Okay. So I'm going to go yeah. to my other question. Great, the, like, we, yeah. This is the problem with yeah, this yeah, thing yeah. as well is yeah. that you also you Size open up cans of worms, yeah, yeah, and then you're like, oh, let's go down this yeah, rabbit yeah, hole, yeah, and yeah, you're like, no, we well, stick to. Yeah, that, that must be in my work anyway. I think sometimes going down the rabbit's holes is exactly right. Mm. I, I, you know, I'm chasing rabbits. That's that's fine. That's <laughs> Back in the woods. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the other question I wanted to ask you on it was uh, mm. the change from acting to yeah. you know working in the church or a church. Yeah. Um, was that a change in suddenly having regular income? Was that just like oh, I don't need to worry about sort of gig working and things like that? Or was that no, not a major change for you? Yes, it was a change in the sense of regularity. Mm. Um, I don't think it made much difference in terms of, uh, you know, kind of 
lifestyle or did it give you more sense of security though that you were now in something that was like you know it was yeah. a regular gig yeah sort of thing yeah yeah of course it's a very different uh, sort of set of parameters mm. um, yeah having said that I mean there isn't oddly enough there isn't a massive amount of job security and uh, I don't know whether this is something that's uh, you know to the point but clergy in Britain operate under a particular rubric that they're not employed right and they've there've been these really fascinating legal well if you're a legal nerd mm. fascinating legal cases about how to um, classify clergy mm. um, are they employees if so who employs them mm. um, what's come out in the end is the, the sort of workaround which is that clergy are appointed officers of the church mm. um, they're paid a stipend not a wage mm -hmm. and that you know really should have very little significance it's a, it's a workaround mm. But in my particular denomination, the minister is called by the congregation. Mm. That sense that I spoke about of mm. realising that I had this trust that I was being given um, is exactly how it works in, in this denomination, in real life. You're called by a congregation mm -hmm. who appoint you, you to the ministry mm. And offer you the opportunity to uh, lead the congregation in prayer, in worship, mm -hmm. to represent the congregation. Mm. Uh, but that calling mm. is also in their gift to withdraw. Mm. So, you know, I always have to <laughs> have a working majority within our annual general meetings. Otherwise, mm. you know, it would be, right, thanks, that's, that's you done. Mm. So in some ways, it's it's no more, in fact, even less uh, job security. That's a way of keeping you accountable as well to the yeah, congregation, is. though, yeah, isn't it? That's Which right. I think yeah. is is good. Yeah. Because yeah. then you're not yeah. you're not rising sure. above and becoming yeah, the exactly. authoritative no, figure. Yeah. Very much so. It's a strength, mm. not a weakness. Mm. But with that strength, is uh, it's a built-in. Is the word precarity? Yeah. Precariousness. Yeah. And I think that is also healthy. That's also good. It's also true. Mm. We don't really have job security. Mm. Everybody is working on at some level within. Well, yeah, he, well, they he, say two paychecks short of the he, street. Elon Musk could be bankrupt this time next year. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, having having just sloughed off how many employees? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Not everything that he's had to borrow and all the yeah, people right. he owes money to right. now yeah. and. Well, you know, exactly. And if it goes wrong, he's done. Yeah. Our consciousness, I think, more than ever since COVID, has been of a system which is really a kind of fiction. Mm. Economics, mm. we have to acknowledge, is invented. It's made mm. up. Mm. Money is made up. Mm. We're making it up. Mm. We're quantitative easing mm. is another word, I think, mm. for making some more money up. You know, Printing money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So when we start to establish these these things, then everything's pretty precarious. 
Mm. I don't think it, it, I mean, it's a really interesting question, but I actually don't think I am any more secure in my feelings now. Mm. Yeah. I'm glad I asked. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll move into some of the other questions. And yeah. I think, as I say, I think more things will come out as we go yeah. through. So uh, we'll start with COVID, uh, which is what I normally start with on these. Yeah. Um, so I want to basically kind of go through your lockdown experience. So yeah. I want you to think about when when the lockdown, the main lockdown happened, yeah. where were you kind of at? Did it mean you were working all the hours or none of yeah. the hours like which yeah. way did it go for you and then how over yeah. time it kind of changed your work for yeah. you well I, I mentioned that I feel like I work four jobs at once within this job mm. and so I felt like I was running at full capacity before before yeah yeah we hit COVID and then my workload increased exponentially yeah that's what I was thinking it, it was really fascinating <laughs> yeah. to see oh yeah you can you can go th this far further mm. I had no idea that mm. that was even possible because mm. I was already you know completely over well you used to go home time. you used to go home at the end of the day and now you were just in your home so there was no yeah. escape uh, that's right <laughs> we had um I mean it was very fascinating for me how quickly we switched over to doing services online mm. so i was doing services at first mm. from home that must have been weird yeah it was we really weird mm. uh, and a lot of the senses that i maybe forgot to be so aware of mm. as i was at first aware of that relationship between the minister and the congregation and mm. the, the sense of the sacred the sense of something really truthful happening mm. is a palpable felt sense that exists in a space between people mm. and suddenly that's gone mm. you're, you're yeah you can't do that on zoom in front of a dancing screen mm. of light mm. that's that's what it is you're looking at pixels and i had to find a way through theologically what this means mm. and I, light was actually where i fetched up at Mm, yeah, you're dealing with light. Okay. Yeah, that at least gave me something, an image to work with that yeah. could could make it real. But it wasn't until we came back to working in person that I realised how much really is to do with being here, yeah. being in the space, yeah. contributing and, and participating in this place. Well, I mean, any any faith. Surely, yeah. like all of them, yeah. it is all. It, it's the communion, it's the congregation, yeah. it's, it's the coming together, the being together to I, which. I very much agree. Um, and of course, we did speak towards that online and say these things like, you know, that we could be together as a community, we could be, gather as a group here mm. on online through mm. this app on our computers. Um, and to some extent, you can make that mental leap mm. happen. Mm. But I was also in a very lucky position as I was working from home in that for insurance purposes, it was necessary that a keyholder come once a week to check the locks, mm -hmm. check the electrics, check the water, etc. So I had a free pass mm. out. Mm. At least I wrote one for myself. <laughs> I don't think anybody was giving free passes out. But, you know, I used to make a trip into work uh, once a week mm. 
even right down in I think in sort of deepest lockdown mm. um, if I remember I, I'd written some a little kind of sheet for myself so that I could hold it up to a window if need be if mm. I was pulled over mm. that just said look I've got a contractual obligation to visit mm. my place of work mm. and because of that pass out I also got in contact with um, a great organisation that we've worked with over many years called PAFRAS, Positive Action yeah, for yeah. Refugees and Asylum Seekers, and asked if I could make use of that free pass and, and took on some work with them. Mm. They had some fantastic volunteers who were just delivering food parcels to refugees and asylum seekers who otherwise mm. wouldn't have been on anybody's radar. Yeah. Um, so I would do that as well, just put in uh, into that um, round trip, you know, between Hair Hills and here. One of the things that I bring up with the COVID stuff, because it's a nice place to put it and it, yeah. it kind of segues in lovely, is your sort of work-life balance and, and yeah. uh, you know, yeah. the health and well-being kind yeah. of thing. Like, how how did you... I suppose it's difficult for you as well and it's spell, yeah. you know, vocational as well. Yeah. Can you switch off? Do you switch off? Are you? No. Do you ever get a moment? No, I find it very difficult to create the separation which I know would uh-huh. be more healthy mm. if I did have a, an off switch and a, a place which was uh, where I was able to completely put it to one side mm. but I find even with with the intention of treating my days off seriously and treating my giving my family the respect the, the, yeah. and love that they deserve mm. of uh, attending to my children and my wife as wholeheartedly as I mm. as I would wish to, um, but you can't stop emails coming in, and you mm. can't ignore a distress signal if somebody sends you a text that says, mm. "You know, I'm, I'm really struggling here." Yeah, whatever, or, or you know, variations of on that theme. Mm. So yeah, there is no real way of isolating yourself, cutting mm. yourself off from the world. Yeah, God doesn't have office hours. No. <laughs> No, right. And I mean, even though I put that on a footer on my emails, you know, I, I, I try to, I, I don't put that on the footer, but I mean, I, I do say, look, I'm, I'm going to be here Tuesday through Friday and mm. Sunday. Mm. I'll try and get to your email in that period. Mm. The truth is I'm sometimes still sitting up at stupid o'clock, mm. responding to things and there's always that little bit of extra thing that you haven't attended to during the day that you meant to that you can pick up at midnight, you know. How do you how do you keep yourself in check then? How do you like yeah. monitor yourself in terms of yeah. like, am I stressing too much about yeah. this? Have I got too yeah. involved? Yeah. Like, do yeah, I need yeah, to yeah. take a step back? Like, sure, can you do sometimes that? Sometimes things are really stressful. Yeah. Uh, emergencies occur, things that happen. And if you're really involved with yeah. someone's problem in their yeah. life yeah. and something yeah. awful additional yeah. happens, sure. it can really hurt you yeah. as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure that's potentially the case. Um, I think that they've been, I don't know, I've been very exceptionally lucky that I've not um, had to endure any, uh, you know, kind of extreme outcome of that pressure are you very good at rationalizing things as well though for yourself are you quite good at kind of going right that's i, I can put this over there and i can like this i need to process uh, and deal I, I with i think on a rational level i think i am mm. but then 
the emotions the operate underneath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you wonder why you're still awake at yeah. four o'clock in the morning. You're telling yourself yeah. one story of like, I'm yeah. fine, but then you're pacing yeah. up and down yeah, the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I had a, a period where I was, I suddenly became aware of um, an adrenaline sensation. At first, I wasn't aware of mm. what it was. It took me a long time to figure it out. Mm. Uh, I, I, actually, I thought it was a COVID symptom at first. Um, I had a sensation of being in motion, mm. sort of like a rush. Mm. Um, yeah, and I worked out finally with the help of my GP that I was, <laughs> I was just uh, you know I had too much adrenaline mm. going through my system, and I was mm. not. My body wasn't becoming aware that it had stopped. You know. Mm. So it's kind of like you were panicking. Yeah, your body was panicking, some, but your mind, my, yeah. My mind was, was going, no, 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 everything's fine. Yeah, yeah. My body was going, um, yeah. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah I, that's got to be really, really difficult one. I suppose you've got to take it just day by day, case by case of like. Yeah. I mean, do you check in with yourself quite regularly? Like, I suppose. I'm learning to. I'm learning to. Because do you to, get to yeah. pray much? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm learning to realise that. Um, of course, I do get Because you're to always pray. leading and exactly. stuff. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes. Exactly. And the that act of leading the worship can very much fulfil your spiritual needs mm. if you allow that to happen. Mm. And you think, well, I'm writing prayer, I'm leading prayer, I'm mm. with the congregation in prayer. Mm. But... As my ministry has developed, also my sense of what prayer can be has developed mm. in the sense that I need it as part of my daily practice mm. and it's part of me. You know, mm. It's not something else, it's not something other, it's something that is really integral mm. and I try to retain it and make it so mm. rather than allowing myself, as with any spiritual discipline, it does take self-care, it mm. takes you, your discipline. Mm. Um, and how you find that, maybe sometimes remembering that it's self-care. Mm. Okay. Um, let's do, we'll go to social media next. Yeah. Um, take us in a slightly different yeah. direction. Yeah, well, it's a fascinating area for me. So Yeah, yeah. so what, the reason I ask about this is because more and more people... You know, they either, you know, if you're working in a bar and the owner of the bar is like, yeah. right, we're doing a social media video, you're all lining up to do this, that and the other. Right. It's becoming more and more part of people's yeah. work, whether yeah, they yeah, want yeah. it to be yeah, or not. Um, and like, you know, with the fall of the printing industry, we've all, you know, we all know all these different fonts now. Like, yeah. Yeah. And everyone's becoming uh, filmmakers and photographers yeah. and yeah. content creators. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have to do much social media uh, work in your line of work? Yes. And... Um, do you feel that the amount of time that you have to put into any social media that you do, do you feel that that's a good use of your time? Does it return that time investment for you? Or is it just kind of something you feel you have to do? Or do you have to do it? Yeah. Um, I've come and gone with it. Mm. In the earliest days of my ministry, I thought this is just great isn't mm. it what a brilliant tool mm. how wonderful I don't have to hand out leaflets or mm. you know get into all of those old ways mm. of um, alerting people to the possibility that we're 
might be for them. Mm. You know, that's what the job is. That's all I want to do is raise a possibility for people that there's this particular resource that they might find helpful. Mm. Um, and I thought, yeah, Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram. We looked at some other channels as well and found that they were probably not going to draw the demographic we were hoping to. Mm. Others that might well do, but aren't really within my kind of area of competence. So we mm. ignored Snapchat and, you know, we, we sort of focused as much as we could on where we felt there was likely to be most traction. Mm -hmm. um, and for a while I was very, very diligent with it. Mm. and posting every service online and mm. posting a snippet from a service or mm. a, sometimes a whole sermon mm. and I built a little presence of my own uh, blog mm. where I put prayers and bits of writing mm. but gradually I came to realise first I think that that writing me talking that bit mm. isn't actually the central part of what I do. Mm. It is an important part and it has to be there mm. to provide structure for this project, but mm. it's not actually the main ingredient. Mm. And then along with alongside that, around about the same sort of time, I guess I started to worry about social media and what its influences are and mm. how it's affecting us. Mm. And noticed that I would need to check in to certain platforms to see how mm. that post had registered. Has number gone up? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And therefore it would bring me into that ambit and I'd spend mm. an hour just scrolling mm you know, doom scrolling and all of those different mm. ways that we describe that. Mm. Um, so it was negative for me on a personal level, mm. as well as uh, I started to think, well, isn't it, well, what does that say about this medium? And if you are putting a message mm. out via this medium, is it healthy for everybody else? Is your one nugget of wisdom really worth that hour of scrolling that they're going to spend? Mm. Um, you know, I, I came to question all of those premises mm. but I have to say I'm at a loss mm. how do I advertise what we do how do I even describe it mm. let alone how do I advertise it mm. how do I raise up the profile of the church in a way that's positively going to reinforce for anybody in the vicinity mm. that this might be a place for them mm. uh, I'm at a loss to, to, to answer that question mm. Mm. We try to put things out on the street, reminders, little nudges to the passers-by that this is a place of peace, that this is a sanctuary. Mm. Um, recently, we hung some wind chimes in the trees in the yard. Mm. And I love the way that that has an influence on people. I love mm. noticing people as they slow up and stop to listen. And the little sense of wonder that comes into people's face at first, because they go, what is that? Mm. Is that something in the tree? And then, mm. and then you realise they've stopped and they've paused and they've stood in a churchyard for mm. two minutes mm. amongst the trees mm. when what they thought they were doing was going from the station to their place of work mm. or from the station to the shop. Mm. In a way, that's the best piece of 
social media platform I've created mm. been with some trees and moonshine. <laughs> yeah. 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 I suppose the other thing as well, or, or one of the things that I found with this as well, is that it's really hard. Well, probably social media people will be like, no, it's really easy what you're talking about, Simon, but it's really hard to like to, yeah. to focus on a specific area. Like, yeah. you know, you're putting yeah. stuff out there, but it's going to yeah. go all around the world to yeah. the, you know, yeah. to the, yeah. the, however many people on the planet that, are, are, you know, yeah. might react to it. Yeah. And it's like, well, I don't want them. I want, I want people here yeah. who, yeah. to see it. To, right. Because yeah. someone that's yeah. in Bali, mm. I don't know why I'm using Bali all the right. time, but someone's yeah. Bali yeah, yeah. is not going to come to the church here. Yes. They might eventually, but, you know, that's not what you want. Well, we've had some interesting things where through social media, through being online, especially having services online, and also we um, had a well-being group, which mm. we were running not as a religious group, but as a completely therapeutic group. Uh, depression recovery group mm. uh, we were getting people from uh, Malaysia America um, I think that was as far flung um, but also from here in Britain from Norwich and from Scotland mm. and that's fascinating but ultimately as you say that those people weren't here and mm. aren't able to really continue the project that we have gone mm. here. Um, I suppose it's a really good kind of, it could be a really good like best practice resource for you of like, you know, here's a project that we're working on. Here's what we've learned, not learned yeah. from it. And then yeah. I suppose in other, other areas you can pick up if they're doing similar things of like, yeah. Oh, that's really good. We could maybe try something like that here. That could be useful. Maybe it could indeed. But I think it's one of the things that for me, I realized is that there was a lot of, I made a lot of assumptions based on what everybody else is doing. Yeah. A lot of assumptions about the value of carrying everything on film and putting things out on mm. social media and mm. YouTubing or broadcasting mm. our services. Mm. And actually, you know what? If you put a service online what you're really doing is reinforcing the fact that you missed it. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> you, yeah, you, you weren't present, yeah. To watch something that you weren't present at. Yeah. And actually, surprise, surprise, not that many people take up that option. Mm. And I don't, I'm of a generation where I remember VHS tapes, uh, video, that you'd video TV mm. programmes and films that were shown late night on Channel 4. Mm. Those VHS cassettes used to sit under my TV <laughs> and I never used to watch them. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's exactly the same with our YouTube content. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think people are really fascinated to see what I said on the 19th of November mm. 2021 and fair play to them. Mm. And people that are saving things or, oh, oh this yeah. is a really good handy like tip yeah. or something, save it to the phone, never look at it again. Yeah, yeah, oh, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So I did come to question the real productivity of some, a lot of that work, mm. a lot of that work. And I'm also, I'm not a public intellectual. I'd love to be, but I'm not, mm. you know, I do something else. Mm. 
and even the work of those people who are in that job. Mm. I think a lot of their uh, hits are momentary mm. scroll buys. Mm. And, you know, a million people watching 30 seconds of a mm. TED talk, mm. I don't think it amounts to much mm. uh, in the great scheme of things. Mm. So I, I do have a scepticism around how valuable it is. I'm still doing stuff on social media. I've got a member of the congregation who is brilliant, who runs our Twitter mm. as a um, self-perpetuating kind of curiosity corner. Mm. She's brilliant. She throws up some wonderful historical glimpses and clips mm. of stuff, and I just love that. I use it myself in a slightly more focused way. I will put up announcements and mm. intentions, mm. Uh, and I do the same on Facebook every week, or if I remember to, I put up something saying what we're doing this week and how's it. Mm. Uh, you might be able to participate. But, mm. And we've got a website which we likewise tr try to make as inclusive as possible and give as good an account of ourselves as we can. Mm. But I think it comes with a lot of reservations from me. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah. Well, it's a difficult, difficult one for you, as you've said. Yeah, uh, that, I, a lot of our focus is on inclusivity. Mm on trying to make this offer as open as possible. Mm. And so there is definitely an element in there that you rightly describe as best practice. Mm. It does offer people an opportunity to be on in community mm. with us. So we're, we've kept to broadcasting our services. Mm. Uh, twice a week I plug in and get things going and roll it. Mm. You know? So... Mm. And, you know, we still have some folk who prefer to access that way. And I'm mm. very happy for that to continue. Mm. Yeah. Are you um, are you part of the Warm Spaces as well? We're not, actually. No. no. Um, I'm interested in watching how that goes, mm. how that develops. Um, I've got colleagues who are in sort of different geographical locations mm. that I think make it easier for them to offer that space mm -hmm. but I must say I, I have a, a it's one of those boundary things I just w wonder how you make the boundary when it comes to be time to mm. clear everyone out mm. and I know that's inevitable and you know libraries will have that sense at the end of a day when they're having to th you know rattle keys and there's somebody who's sitting at a table who's going to be cold. Mm. Um, so I, I, I have that concern about it mm. and what it's papering over, what it's mm. not revealing. Yeah, well, it's like, oh, we've got this yeah. solution. It's like, well, why don't you solve the problem rather yeah. than make yeah. up a solution yeah. that doesn't go halfway and towards solving? that solution solve. is going yeah. to be problematic in yeah. all sorts of ways. And it's like, oh, right, you're great. You've created mm. some warm spaces mm. for people. Yeah. What happens at night when it's cold? Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Colder. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and so we are doing um, as much as we can open activities for people who can benefit from those activities. So mm. we have a weekly refugees, asylum seekers conversation group, mm -hmm. which is an absolutely fantastic project that operates as a resource for some of the most precarious people in Leeds, mm. people with no access to any public resources mm. whatsoever. Mm. Um, and we uh, 
part subsidise their um, activities and indeed in also raise funding for bus tickets for them for, for people who literally otherwise wouldn't be able to attend mm. so that offers people a weekly resource able the ability to come into Leeds once a week mm. to do all the other things that they might be able to do in the town centre um, I'm, I'm working to make as many opportunities for people to use this place as possible mm. uh, but mm. as a warm space per se no that's not mm. something we're doing mm. and likewise I have the same set of concerns and feelings about food bank mm. um, possibilities mm. I've thought about it very often should mm. we be doing that mm. and maybe we should uh, certainly not a closed book to me mm. um, how we respond to poverty in Britain how we respond to poverty in Leeds mm. I'm not sure that we've I certainly know that we haven't come to the answers on this mm. it's an open question mm. yeah yeah and so we'll move on to the next yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll leave that hanging. Yeah. Um, I suppose for me, it's also, before we do, it's, it's part of understanding what it is that we offer. Mm. So, so what are we, you know? Yeah. When I spoke about having a, a therapy group, mm. a wellbeing group, um, that's separate from our main activity. Mm. And you could ask, well, why is it separate? How mm. is it separate? Mm. Isn't it the same? And I know that it isn't mm. in ways that I can't quite quantify or qualify. Mm. I know that there's a separation between the two things. Mm. And I'm like uh, interested in keeping it open. What is it? Why? How? That's, that's what we're here to investigate. That's mm. how we can explore. Mm. And, and I want to run those other activities as well. Mm. But keeping clear about our main fo focus and purpose is also important. Yeah. Oh, it's key, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because yeah. that's why you're doing what you're doing. Exactly. There, yeah. are, there are other resources which are set up specifically with the focus of, well, providing therapy, say, or mm. um, doing all of the many other things that I would wish were done more. But mm. this is a unique opportunity that we have here. Mm. And it's, I think, a very necessary one. Mm. Yeah. It's important to remain focused on how valuable it is and how valid it is, even though our context and our culture is doing its utmost to mm. prove the opposite, mm. to say it's not valid. Mm. And I very often say that we're right in between the financial district and the retail zone, mm. and that's a, that's a place. Mm. There's somewhere in between those places that is neither one mm. or the other. Mm. It's, we've got our, our own ground here. Mm. Uh, it's good to try and make sure that that's a, a real possibility for people there is something else mm. yeah because there's a lot of stuff with place and yeah. and with the buildings as well you know yeah. and like you say and the this the specific location of this building and and how long it stood here and yeah um, I mean, even you mentioning sort of the wind chimes and stuff, that just reminded yeah. me of how many times I've walked past this building. Yeah. So we're at Mill Hill, if yeah. I haven't said already on the recording. Um, walk past the place. Yeah. And there'd be posters or whatever, or yeah. lights on. And yeah. like, I I generally always notice it whenever I walk right. by. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. But yeah, like I said, this is the first time I've ever been in. Yes, yeah. as so many people in Leeds say to me, um, when we can have the doors open, I do. Mm. And it's great that people come in when you know the sudden possibility arises. Mm. But so many times people will say, I've been here past here so many times, I've mm. never been in before. Mm. And it's always great to show people how lovely it is, mm. but I wish it was possible to kind of be more open and more inclusive I wish it was possible that we were on people's mental picture of what the possibilities are that mm. this is a place that's for them mm. that it could be a place you come to because mm. mm. you don't have to be you don't have to be of the denomination do you no, with Unitarian no. it's just the no, no, no. doors no. open yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we used to have before lockdown which maybe we'll go into, but before lockdown, we had a Sikh Simran, mm -hmm. uh, a Buddhist Sangha, mm -hmm. and uh, Muslim Friday Jummah prayers, mm -hmm. all operating here mm -hmm. uh, at the same time as our own two services a week. Mm -hmm. I don't mean that literally at the same time, yeah, yeah. I mean as well as. Yeah. So, and that was great to have that footfall and that um, opportunity for kind of interfaith mm -hmm. uh, action. Activity it felt brilliant. Mm. Um, that hasn't yet built back after lockdown, and I'm looking for ways to make sure that that doesn't get left behind. Yeah. But no, and it, it's also a space. I'm always really moved by people who are um, secular and of no faith, and the way that this place is also for them. Mm. People who come in say how beautiful it is how beautiful it feels mm. and you realise that people are tapping into something even if they feel they're not religious they're not moved by theology or metaphysics mm. they can still get something which goes beyond just being a lovely looking thing mm. there's something else that everybody can recognise mm. yeah mm. Mm, that's another one that's you know yeah. has potentiality. Yeah. So I'm yeah. going to move to the next question. Yeah. So we'll do do Brexit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we have now Brexited. Um, yeah. Has it made any difference to your work? So I would imagine your answer on this will be more congregation based than on your day to day. Yeah. Um, it's. I think that. A big part of my ministry has been influenced by Brexit. Mm. I moved here to Leeds in 2014 mm. when I took up this post. Mm. And in 2015, the news media was feeding us a daily routine mm. of stories of the terrible neglect of people at the European borders. Mm. And I think that the intention of the media, or at least some parts of the media, was to scare people mm. into feeling that there was a, uh, in the disgraceful rhetoric of the time, an invasion. Mm. Or is, it, is that the disgraceful rhetoric of this time, actually? It's still the rhetoric and it's mm. still disgraceful that there's a swarm or a... Mm. you know a tidal wave of migrants mm. and all that mm -hmm. and for us what that did was focus our need to do something to help to mm. support 
migrants and refugees, people mm. who are flying from terrible regimes. But we're, as a culture, we're in large part responsible for. Mm. We've created a mm. global mess. Mm. Uh, so it seemed to us we should do something about it. And we began a project that continues to this day. At first, our project was to collect um, equipment and support food and clothing for the so-called jungle in Calais. Mm. And we very quickly filled the church with, uh, you know, the, the, the kind of throwaway mm. um, items of mm. our culture mm. and began shipping stuff to Calais mm. before realising that it was really unwieldy and didn't work and mm. there are people who were set up to do that much better than we could possibly do it as volunteers and mm. we went through a, a, a lot we did a lot of work and I'm really grateful for the support of Leeds Council at that point who mm. gifted us a warehouse to um, work from and the volunteer group from that project have continued and gone on but we've now parted company um, partly because I think the response was not really ours to make mm. and, and it, it, for all sorts of reasons it, there were things that were going awry. Mm. I don't think it worked particularly well. It worked better when we were connected directly with the, um, the distribution warehouse mm. in Calais mm. but even then I think there were problems with it as a model. Mm. So we shifted and switched over to an in-house uh, gathering for people already here, mm. um, offering what the, the, the Refugees Asylum Seekers Conversation Club on a Thursday mm. is a resource which aims to help people learning English mm. through the medium of conversation. Mm. So it's got an emphasis on making space for fun, mm. There are games, there's mm. an opportunity to eat together, mm. to share, you know, that quintessentially English ritual of a cup of tea and a mm. biscuit. Um, but the emphasis is on fun, on creating a space that is different from the typical environment that people might routinely face, mm -hmm. which is very regimented and, you know, take a ticket and take mm. a seat and wait for a bell and then go to mm. an interview or whatever. We're trying to make something that's genuinely mm. collegial mm. and fun and respectful and attempts human. To, yeah, yeah, human. And attempts to recognise the dignity and worth mm. of the people who are in this precarious well, Yeah, recognise it's a person yeah. and not a number. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And so that uh, is a project that's very dear to my heart and it's run by some fantastic volunteers some of whom are uh, members of the congregation, but most of whom are people from Leeds who mm. recognise that this is a good place to, to be and a good thing to try and do. Well, mm. all of that came out of that pre-Brexit media exposure. Mm -hmm. And it had a counter-reaction as well. Um, street kitchens that unfolded in city square and on our premises um, also came out of that um, and 
actually just like the our attempt to create provisions for uh, the jungle in Calais, our attempt to assist with those street kitchens was also something which in the end we had to step away from and move away from because the model didn't work. Well, I think part, so this is an aside, but I yeah. think part of the problem is that yeah. it's this idea that you can do something remotely. It's this idea that mm-hmm. you can oversee something mm-hmm. with a map and a yeah. document mm-hmm. on the other side of the world and you know what conditions on the ground are. Yeah. You don't. No. The people that know are the people that are there yeah. and they're the ones that should be the ones that are saying, this yeah. is what we need. Yeah. Yeah. This is what needs yeah. to happen. And yeah. that's, it should come that way. But as we've said before, I mean, I agree with you, yes. But also, as we've said, um, trying to deal with a symptom mm. is ultimately doomed in two ways. It, mm. it, it won't succeed in solving the problem mm. at any level, any deep level. And it may make things worse. Mm. It may inadvertently exacerbate the situation mm. or... Have or create new problems, a whole set of new problems. Uh, problems that you haven't yeah. foreseen. Yeah. And that's something we've got to be really mindful of. And th- the answer, I'm sure, and as you've said, is mm. for it to happen right here. Mm. With the, 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 the groundswell, the, mm. the undertow of opinion and change that comes when people act where they are. Mm. Well, there's a lot of people that say that the you know underlying the various crises, the, the you know yeah. the omni crisis is yeah. like it is a crisis of, of faith and spirituality underneath it all. Well, I completely agree with that, and I I can't remember who it was who recently said we can't solve a metaphysical problem with physical solutions. Mm. If the if our problem is a, a metaphysical one, mm. it's something wrong at our core, spiritually, mm. that we're not attending to, mm. well then treating random symptoms aren't going to be effective. Mm. Very true. And as I experienced with my stress, there's, the body told me something that I wasn't ready to hear. Yeah. But ultimately I had to listen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that this is, for, like, for me with climate change, you know, there's a whole bunch of people within the commentariat who are just like oh well we can either solve it with our indomitable will or by just saying it's not happening yeah and it's like physics doesn't work like that thermodynamics don't work like that you can't will a kettle to stop boiling once you've set it boiling (laughs) like you know yeah it's yeah no i think that's really important to remember though that as well as denialism um it, I think it's equally dangerous to imagine that we can just, uh, you know, stamp our feet mm. and say, "Well, I wish it would to be otherwise," yeah, uh, it, and change it because, uh, and imagine that we can just carry on doing everything else we're doing. Mm. No, that isn't going to work either. Mm. Mm. I do think that it's a metaphysical problem, and mm. I pray that we have time to attend to it. Mm. So uh, that'll bring me neatly on to my climate change question mm-hmm. then. So within your work, is it something that's, that, you, that you do work on that, that's included, that you think about, that it like is climate change yeah. part of your work? What can you do in terms yeah. of adaptation, yeah. mitigation, yeah. awareness yeah. raising? Yeah, uh, very much 
it is part of our work and very much part of our thinking. Um, part of that thinking is all uh, connected with this question about treating the symptoms uh, without attending to the cause mm. and looking properly at the idea that this is a metaphysical problem mm. and our role therefore may be really important it could mm. be a massive thing mm. that we attend to we uh, assist with mm. in terms of those little gestures that we try to make mm. yeah of course we're trying to make those kind of gestures and mm. recycling what wherever we can and mm. keeping our heating to a minimum as you may have noticed mm. Uh, and you know, that we've been this year putting out planters on the outside of the building mm. where rainwater harvesting, mm. looking to grow. I'm, I love the idea of the medieval garden around a church mm. would always be a herbarium mm. that you would find treatment for ailments. Mm and ingredients for cookery mm. around the church. So I'm trying to replicate that mm. in our little way. And mm. it's a small thing. It's actually, we were talking earlier about social media. It's my pinned mm. tweet mm. is about this little thing that we've done. It's not going to change the world, but it's what we're doing. It's a little thing. Yeah, it might be part of it, though. Yeah, the the small things it, make yeah. a big difference. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and look, all of these things are complex, aren't they? And I'm trying to avoid uh, what would you say sort of message or um, yeah kind of gesture yeah rather than action yeah so it's I think important to really look and work at what can we do Mm. how do we affect change Mm. I think it's more and more I've been saying I think the key thing now is it's peer networks. It's it's, mm. it's the change is going to come from peers, mm. and it's from behaviour being modelled. And as as yeah. bits of the old carbon economy become yeah. more and more difficult to actually do yeah. because it's not there, yeah. um, it will be the people who are seen as successfully living outside that that will be the people that people will want to model themselves on. That's how I see it kind of going. Yeah. Mm. So I think it's like it's vitally important to have, you know, even little things started that can get bigger and just showing yeah. people that, that this yeah. is like, again, it's, it's having space and, and possibilities. Yes. I think that's so important. Totally. And I still claim that the change that needs to happen is a spiritual change. Mm. Mm. Part of that is accepting the truth. Mm. Part of that is seeing where you are. Mm. But there is also something greater than that, something mysterious which we need to attend to properly. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I mean, even within the focus of, of the individual, you know, like the the, the sovereign individual, mm. it's like, well, but where do you come into being then? Like, at what mm-hmm. point is it? Is it your birth? Is it you know? Mm-hmm. Like, is it mm-hmm. conception? Is it? Is it when you're about seven or eight years old and you've mm-hmm. actually started to develop a personality yes. and a sense of self and so yes. on? Like, what, and you know, you, and then even that, like, well, yeah. you know, seven years mm-hmm. later, you're 14, you can still remember seven. Add another mm-hmm. seven years on that, you can't remember it anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. 
<laughs> the limits of the self is absolutely properly a metaphysical question. Mm. Uh, but uh, And it's also something which I believe we're overlooking in our current set of answers mm. to creating social change and mitigating climate change. Mm. We've created a story mm. that you or I can change some of our consumer habits. Yeah. And that will... Do through nothing. Our <laughs> but the story is yeah. that through our individual acts of... Yeah boycotting this or mm. buying this mm. I'm going to purchase something and help to change mm. this catastrophe mm. but I'm sorry that isn't true that which isn't is caused by purchasing yeah. things <laughs> <laughs> that isn't going to work and the reason it isn't going to work is it's a reliance on the the myth of the individual mm. a reliance on that sovereign individual myth it's and a story but it's not even a myth is it it's just a lie yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it is an outright lie. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, yeah. yeah. When they can just... Okay, so you boycott one brand, so they buy the other brand, you know. Like, yeah, yeah. 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 Or, or your, your, you know, your carbon offsetting company yeah. ends up being bought by an oil. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Just, and that doesn't mean we shouldn't do things no. as individuals. It's not a, it's not a get-out. It's not a get-out clause that says, oh, no, you, nothing you do matters. I'm sure it all does cumulatively matter but it's not the answer mm, no. it's, it's another uh, version of treating the symptom mm. instead of being prepared to do the work and look at the cause because mm. it's a it's a collective problem that needs a collective solution yeah which the yeah. individual is not equipped to, no. to do no. you know like no, you no. can only solve yes. those sort of things yes. with a collective yes with like you yes. know a community yes. with again sort and of as with those uh, attempts to solve problems by attending to the symptom that very often have unintended consequences that were unforeseen. Mm -hmm. So also that's we're seeing that play out in real time with mm -hmm. climate activism. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's Al Alistair McIntosh criticises, rightly in my view, people who are catastrophizing mm -hmm. and making claims that are intended to shock and frighten, mm. but have the unintended consequence of shutting people down, mm. isolating people, mm. making them feel afraid mm. and unable and overwhelmed. Mm. And we've created places for those kinds of retreat. Mm. And they're not healthy places at all. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, that's a big problem as well, I think. Creating a sense that we can change things creating a sense that we are connected to something greater than the individual. Creating a vision of the future. Creating a vision of the future. Creating a way to get there. We're writing a philosophy for a church. Yeah. Mm, mm, yeah. Mm, mm, very much so. Yeah. Um, yeah. Why don't you should come? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so... Uh, don't break... Well, that was climate change. So... I'm wondering whether we should move. Yeah, we should move on because uh, time's ticking on. Sure. So um, I'll do the UBI question. Yeah. So uh, yeah. a question here. It's it's another way of asking. You know, if money was no object, what yeah. would you be doing? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah. So if there was a universal basic income, yeah. would you still do what you're doing now? 
if you would still do the same job, would you do yeah. it the same way? You know, yeah. Would you just be doing less hours? Yeah. Um, how do you think it would change things for you? I don't... That's a, such an interesting question. Um, I'm not sure that it would significantly change what I do. Mm. Because, the as we've discussed... I feel like the core of what I do is so vast, so endlessly fascinating, mm. so absorbing. Mm. There's so much of it. Mm. There's so much to do. Mm. Um, I can't see it being changed. Um, do you think it would give you more, more opportunity to work yourself more? No, I don't know. I mean, on one level, uh, there's a danger of treating this question as though the question is you know would more funding help mm. and obviously I have to fundraise to do certain projects mm. and it would be great if I didn't have to mm. I, I would love more funding mm. for doing mm. good projects that deserve the light of day mm. that's for sure I, for me the biggest argument for a universal basic income is the restoration of dignity mm. to people who mm. are currently outcast. Mm. Now I think of myself, I'm not really in that picture. I'm privileged mm. and I've got a job and a house and a family and you know all of these good things mm. that our society might wish on everyone. Mm. But there are people outside right now who are victims of a society which is, in some ways deliberately, mm. inflicting a kind of social violence mm. on its outcasts. Mm. And it's those people that I think would benefit from universal basic income. Mm. That it's the the restoration of dignity to those who've had their dignity removed forcibly. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean it's not a panacea at all, but it would it, you know it's that taking the pressure off and giving people yeah. the space you know yeah. space and possibilities yeah, yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and otherwise, why would we work to get somebody a flat mm. as we do mm. when people around us are in need? Mm. We try and help, right? We and one of the first ways in which we do is try to get people referrals to the housing uh, system so that they can get that need attended to. Mm. Well, the implication here is that we do know ways to solve this mm. pressing problem. Mm. We are, we're choosing not to attend to it. Mm. And that is leaving people without dignity and without a possibility of clawing their way back out of the pit in which they've they found themselves. Now, some people will say they've made that pit themselves. They're, you know, they've gone into a, a contagious activities that are self-harming. But I think that it's the chicken and the egg. You know, people in that terrible plight mm. are making choices that you or I wouldn't make because we don't have to. Well, and as well, they're on. You know, they're they're. They're on the thick end of it. Yeah. And and I think even people who are in more comfortable positions, 
you know, they can recognize that what comes from, you know, the main central discourse is we don't like you. <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. Like, we yeah. hate you when yeah. we hope yeah. horrible things happen to you. Yeah. And some people think they're in the club of that and yeah. that they're yeah. looking down on everyone mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. Whereas most of us realize they mean all of us. Yeah, yeah, kind of thing. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think on an unconscious level, most of us realise the threat behind those mm. people on the streets. Mm. It, it's an inherent, it's an implied threat. Yeah, you don't want to end up like that. No. Yeah. And, and can you think about what the actions that you might take that would put you in that position? Mm. Yeah. But also the things that drive you to take those actions as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, so I think all of that is going on on a subconscious level yeah. and that may sometimes expre- explain or go some way to explain the hostility that some people feel around mm. street folk people who are out, living outside but that's also to a degree that's manufactured and encouraged because there will always be yeah. that you know it's, it's like a way of directing mm-hmm. directing the venom you yeah. know like stay away from us yeah directed towards them yeah. that's socially acceptable yeah. we've validated that you can yeah. do that as much as you want yeah yeah i think yeah it's yeah and and so i suppose ubi feels like as good a economic proposal as any on the table mm. but that ain't saying a lot mm. <laughs> if we recognize that this economic system in which we live is largely a fiction mm. then UBI is will be another symptom that we attend to mm. rather than a deep change mm. but I'd rather we did it yeah mm. for sure mm. yeah, it's, it's one, of, one of the tools we've got so that's why not yeah. apply it it's kind of like the best sort of alleviation in the short term I believe it is yeah. I, I haven't you People know, need money in their pockets. Expert, they need. They need a time. Of, a bit around it, and mm. I can't find a compelling argument against it. Mm. And every single, like, I haven't met a single person yet out of you know sixty odd interviews. Yeah. Okay. It's a, it's right. It's not an, any kind of good sample. Not yet. But I think it's. Yeah. Um, I think it's telling that not a single person has said I would stop working right. and not do anything. Yeah. You know, most people are yeah. like, well, yeah, I'd be working. I might work less yeah. hours. Yeah. I might do yeah. this. I, it yeah. would change my life. But And I wonder how many of us now remember this situation when I was a teenager and into my early 20s, that there was a little space in the system. Mm. So artists began to flourish Mm. and the idea that you could be an actor as I was Mm. or a a painter Mm. or a ceramicist Mm. or a writer these sorts of possibilities Mm. were there for people working-class people for the first time in our history, yeah, had a not, chance to not just someone with a spouse who's going to fund other it. Other level, yeah. like uh, when I was first living in London, I was squatting. Mm. There were squats available, and people were going and doing up houses, mm. and learning how to mm. to build, and learning, moving on, and opening up new places. And uh, mm. we ended up uh, creating a housing co-op. 
mm. that it was responsible for building flats. Nice, <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I can't take credit for that myself. I was just peripherally involved yeah, in yeah. a group of people that, that uh, ended up manifesting manifesting that work. But all of that has gone. Mm. We've, we've just completely devastated city centres mm. with um, rental malpractice. Mm. As soon as we took away the Fair Rent Act, I think mm. that was 1979, 1980, something mm. like that, it was one of the first acts of the Thatcher government. Mm. As soon as that happened, a door got opened yeah. for buying up properties to let. And the sale of council houses was part of that. Mm. The explosion in property value mm. is part of that. The return of slums. The return of slums. Mm. And the application of this force we were just talking about, the underwritten threat mm. of homelessness. Mm. Yeah, it's really brutal what's happened. But, so, I think I've said this on the podcast before. One of the things that happened in, like, when, after 2008 and the credit crunch and yeah. the, the big crash, one yeah. of the things that I was saying at the time, because that was, I yeah. don't know if you remember, but yeah. everyone, like, the, the, the commentary yeah. class just lost their mind because they didn't know what, so, you know, they were printing yeah. art, articles on Marx on all sorts of yeah. things in mainstream right. papers and, right. like, you know, it was just, a, what happened? Everything's yeah. in crisis. What mm. what does anything mean? Mm-hmm. And I saw this move into, you know, like, oh, it's a great opportunity to de- destroy the welfare state. But, like, my immediate thinking was, you put this in, you know, mm. like, there was people mm. on the right, you know, it wasn't, like, Shafts- yeah. Lord Shaftesbury wasn't, like, you know, yeah. a great philanthropist or anything. It was yeah. like, they put these things in because things were so terrible. It was like, we have to do something about this. Yeah. So you put them in initially, or you start this process. You did it for a reason. Yeah. And then from the left, it's kind of, okay, so you had all these things, you got them there, and then what happened to them? They all got sold off and chipped away, mm. right? And they both went exactly back to the same position. They didn't, mm. it's like you didn't learn a thing from this. Mm. So, you know, the left shouldn't be asking for, let's just restore the welfare state. And yeah. the right shouldn't be saying, no, let's get rid of it. Right. Because, you know, you're going to have to put it back at some point. <laughs> and, and if you do put it back, yeah. it's going to get sold again. I can't remember who it was who said that quantitative easing, the, our response, the financial response to the market collapse is socialism for for the rich. The rich. Yeah. Socialism for capital, mm. which they will not uh, provide mm. for the poor. Mm. But then, I think that's right, but I also think that what we're witnessing now is a, a collapse of right and left yeah. as well. Yeah. So those boundaries are meaningfully yeah. non-existent yeah. anymore. And I'm talking to people now who's... Uh, you know, tribally might describe themselves as right or left, mm. but whose views are not recognisable. Yeah, yeah. And leftists making claims that I would never have ex- expected to mm. be made in my lifetime mm. by the left mm. that I can't align with mm. at all. Mm. And and people on the right saying the extraordinary things that don't seem like they're uh, authoritarian right-wing views. Yeah, yeah. We're really seeing a collapse of those boundaries. So, yeah, how much sense it, it makes now to talk about the left 
having a, a voice or, mm. or a direction of travel mm. I'm not sure mm. and and it's interesting isn't it that the UBI is one of those policies that crosses over there are some mm. libertarian mm. right-wingers who support mm. it as well yeah because I mean for various devious reasons that yeah. let's not go into but you know whether it's for the right reason or not it's just interesting that it crosses over from one channel to another mm. Mm. yeah mm. yeah um, okay, so this is my last question. Right. Uh, so the change question. Um, oh, sorry, we're overrunning. Um, so yeah, so if you could change any three things about your work, um, so you can go big on this if you want. Yes. Yeah. Like, uh, but yeah, if you could change any three things about your work, what would you change? Perhaps the sense that we talked about early on that Christianity in this country feels like a no-go zone across a whole region of people. Mm. Uh, it's not a class thing, but it, it's definitely an intellectual credibility thing. Mm. I would change that. Because I would love people to realise that there is an opportunity to look at the mystery in a way that isn't about preaching, mm. it isn't about believing in some superstitious claptrap that mm. makes no sense. It is instead an opportunity to be with your heart mm. and to dwell in some other realm mm. and understand from a different place something of depth mm. because that would lead to a number of other changes because mm. if we had more people invested in this project we could do more mm. another key thing that would change for me if i had an opportunity to safely steward mm. the building mm. we could be open all the time mm. But the stewardship of the building is is also critically important. It's mm. a really precious mm. piece of art, mm. and to make and sure heritage it, and heritage, yeah. yeah, and to make sure that it is kept safe and well means people being here to ensure that you know people with ill intent don't mm. muck about and mess things up. Mm. That's a tough one, and so I, that's another thing I'd change is I'd have more because if more people knew that this was an opportunity mm. then we could have the door open it could be more inclusive of more people mm. um, so that I'd change so yeah what would be my third thing <laughs> I don't know Do you get holidays? Do you get some, like, yeah, time? I do. Yeah, is it yeah, just statutory kind of? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get um, it, it's uh, rather a small allowance actually. It's mm. twenty-eight days, but that's including Sundays and bank holidays. Mm. So twenty-one days, really, mm. three weeks. Yeah, mm. and I uh, but I get rather. I'm supposed to have a statutory allowance of two days off a week. Mm. 
uh, it doesn't always work out that way. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine the holidays are somewhat similar as well. Yeah, they, they can be. Um, I'm better actually at boundarying my holidays because I've got family and, and that is so absorbing going away. Would this, would it be better as a job share, do you think? Would it be better if there were yeah, two of you? Yeah, it's a really interesting idea. Well, or a team of you. Mm. I, I love the idea of team ministry. Mm. And when mm. I started working in the, this field, and I'd hear about team ministry, I'd think, whoa, that sounds great. Mm. It turns out that what people mean when they say team ministry is that one of you runs several churches. <laughs> I, don't mean, I don't mean that there'd be a team of you at all. And so, you know, if I, you know, that would be a great thing, third thing to change, to work in a team ministry. Mm. And those, those job areas that mm. I've described, mm. they could have people who are actually experts in the field doing mm. them instead of me trying <laughs> my best to do, you know, admin and publicity and, uh, you know, all of these things that I'm hopeless at. But I struggle along trying to sort of, uh, well, firefight from crisis to crisis. Mm. But yeah, you could have a, a ministry of one area, a ministry mm. of administration, a ministry of counselling, a ministry mm. of event management. That would be a brilliant thing to do. Yeah, mm. I'd have five of us here. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine the interpersonal dynamics? That would be dreadful. <laughs> Especially if, we, if one of you is not very communicative, it's not passing on messages uh, or anything. Exactly, yeah, yeah. The, the rest of them would all be megalomaniacs and I'd just be... This perfect, humble <laughs> member of clergy. Yeah. Uh, okay, so that's it for my questions. So, as I said, um, I'm going to throw it over to you to see yeah. if there's anything you want to talk about, anything that you want to kind of go back to, anything that we might miss that you want to bring up. Um, I'd, l I'd probably put in a bit more about Brexit, if I could. Yeah, sure. Because um, I talked about the work that we started to do um, with refugees mm. but I didn't say much about the impact on the congregation as individuals mm. and that certainly is something that we noted that some people had to leave some people had to go home to you know countries of origin mm. others were afflicted by it in various ways, made to feel less secure, mm. insulted, mm. challenged in ways that they hadn't been previously. Um, and as we've grown over four or five years recently, we've found that our offer is something that's more available to people from different backgrounds, mm. different countries of origin. Mm. Um, so I do think that there's been that individual effect on, on the congregation as well, members of the congregation mm. coming from different places. Um, yeah. Mm. Mm, is there anything that I want to kind of recover? I don't think so. Um, do we? Do you, you have a website, don't you? Yeah, we do. Um, we're at 
www.millhillchapel.org okay um and then you mentioned the socials i would imagine people can yeah, find them from there absolutely tap yeah. in millhill chapel or millhill chapel leads into any of any network uh, platform mm. yeah you'll find us pretty quickly um our website links to all our socials and vice versa so mm. you know all of that information is found findable very easily online mm. um and then I guess you're open Sundays and another service? Our services here at Mill Hill Chapel are on Sundays at 10.30 mm. and they're about an hour long mm. and Wednesdays at 12.30 mm. and that's a half hour service. Mm. And I always open the door half an hour before the service starts for people to come in and make themselves at home mm. and get a sense of the peace that is built in here. Mm. Um and they're open to everybody. Mm. You don't have to be of one particular denomination or even faith to mm. attend. You're mm. really welcome with, if of faith or of no faith. And I think that we're one of the rare churches where that's literally true. Mm. You don't have to believe in God to be welcomed here as a member and uh, to participate in the offering that's on. Mm. Because the offering here isn't dependent on belief. Mm. And I like to say that I'm a person of faith, mm. not a person of belief. Mm. That uh, p- beliefs that aren't persuasive to me. Mm. I think that we, how we live and what confidence with which we live mm. is of far greater interest. Mm. And uh, helping people to live confidently mm. is at the centre of the project. Mm that the word courage that lies nestled in the word encouragement is really important. Mm. Courage is the practice of the heart. Mm. Mm. And for us to get together on a weekly or twice weekly basis to practice the skills of the heart, Mm. that's the offer. And it doesn't depend on belief. And that's an edit out point. (laughs) That's a beautiful ending. Thank you very much for doing this. Uh, I'm going to switch off. Thank you again to Joe for being my guest and giving me a blinding Christmas episode, which I brought out in January. Thanks again to all my guests and thanks to you, Leeds, for being my subject. And of course, most of all, thank you to you, my dear listener. If you celebrated the annual landfill creation celebration of Western capitalism, then I hope the credit agencies allowed you to get all the landfill your heart desires. If you celebrated Christmas, then I hope you brought peace and goodwill to all, no pressure. And if you celebrated any other festival of light at that time of year, then I hoped that it helped get you safely through the cold and darkness and into the cold and darkness. Okay. That's me. As the late great Dave Allen used to say, good night and may your God go with you. You can follow this show on Twitter at workinghours3 and on Instagram at workinghourspodleads. Use the hashtag workinghourspodleads to stay up to date on when new episodes are being released, to DM me with your questions or most importantly to get in touch if you'd like to be my guest on this show. Please do chuck in anything you can to help the show grow. Go to ko forward slash workinghours and join me there for a pound a month 
or you can make a one-off donation of whatever amount. Uh, you can also go to patreon.com forward slash working hours pod to support working hours again from as little as a pound a month. Why not be super awesome and join both? Do something new and something different. Remember to like, share, follow and subscribe to working hours. That's me. Cheers, ears. Take care out there and be kind to each other, leads. Working Hours is produced, recorded, edited, and published by Simon Treen for Western Studios Leeds Limited. The music was The Bees from Chopin's Etudes, which is in the public domain and was taken from museopen.org. Please like Western Studios Leeds on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash western underscore studios underscore leads and on linkedin linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash western hyphen studios leads are you considering taking the plunge into podcasts or audio content then think western studios for support advice and guidance on getting it made at western studios you work with a real life lawyer who is actually in leads not a piece of software not a course of articles or a series of live chats and video courses but me, a person in physical place-based reality. If you want to work with me to make your podcast or any digital audio content in Leeds, whether it's for your own cause, your publicity campaigns, to promote your products, increase your sales, or just to create your own passion projects, then get in touch with me, Western Studios, now. Don't wade through vapid articles and videos and podcasts about how to make podcasts by disembodied virtual people on the web get on with making your podcast now and then when it gets hard and expensive and it all goes wrong which it will then call western studios to make your podcast with you or even for you western studios will take on your podcast boring time-consuming and painful admin recording editing transcription whatever Tell me about your podcasting pain points and I can make it all better for you. I feel your pain. For a charge, I will share it. Remember, podcast work is work. Leads businesses, leads campaigns, leads brands. Got an inkling that you'd like a podcast but don't know where to start? Contact Western Studios at makemypodcast at western-studios.com and we'll start making your podcast straight away. The first hour of arranged consultation and pre-production time is free. £25 an hour after that for editing, recording, production. I can also arrange hefty discounts for the right projects. So tell me your idea and your budget and I'll tell you what I can do for you. What do you have to lose? Time, that's what. Time is running out. The best time to make a podcast was 10 years ago. The second best time is right now. Writers in Yorkshire, what are you doing with your lives? Hopefully you're writing. Well, I know there are listeners out there who want to hear great original writing performed as audio content that is about and for and has been made in Leeds. How do I know this? Because I'm one of them loiners what wants it. Help me make your old screenplays, unpublished novels, unperformed plays, stories, poems and performances, whatever you got, baby, and make it as podcast content. Is your work arty, salacious, pulpy, strange? Good. Is it unfinished? Good. I can help you with that too. I can work with you to find actors, musicians and voiceover artists and quickly realise your projects. I get practice making the shows and you get a finished, performed and published version of your writing. Save yourself the hassle and the headache of making your podcasts on your own by working with me instead.